and welcome to the Mount Rushmore Podcast. My name is Richard, and I am joined unusually by my friends Michael. Howdy. And Jeff. Hello. We're, everything's gone haywire this week. Those of you who are fans of the show and been with us for a while know that at the end of the year, we like to mix things up a little bit, kind of get wacky with it. And while it's usually Michael and myself who are debating and Jeff, who is the host and judge of the show, uh, we take a couple of weeks where we uh, switch seats and Jeff gets to be in the hot seat of choosing. Yeah. How's that seat? Pretty hot, Jeff? It's warm. It's warm. It's sizzling. Oh. Nothing like hot cross hot crossfit buns <laughs> over here. Um, so we are the next couple of weeks. We're we're going to be mixing it up next week. Michael is going to be uh, judging and hosting the show, but this week it's my turn. So this week's uh, uh, topic Welcome is your highness. Yeah, th- th- I did Gotta have butter him up early. I did have Jeff build me a, a riser with a throne so I could look <laughs> down on you just for just for this week. It's very it's very rickety, so be be very careful. No sudden motions. <laughs> he built it with the gavel in your hand now, so those nails might not be actually fully inserted into the wood. It's a judge's gavel. So if I if I, if I die midway through, you guys know what happened. Um, so this week's topic is exploitation films. And who chose this one? Oh, I did. Why did you choose this, Richard? Why? Let me tell you. I just did a Jeff thing right there. That's very <laughs> much a, a Jeff move. Um, I love exploitation films. Oh, shit. He's going to know that I don't know any of this. <laughs> I grew up uh, in high school, junior high, uh, watching like Night Flight. Oh, yeah. And like all those kind of like really terrible movies that would come on late night on the weekends or or what was USA Up All Night Mm -hmm. or just stuff that you would get in the random corners of your your, uh, local uh, video store. Yeah. And we would. Le Bad Cinema, I think. Yeah. Blockbuster called. Exactly. And and my friends and I would host, we would have like bad movie nights in high school where we'd stay up, go over to someone's house and stay up all night and drink sake Mm -hmm. and uh, watch. These really terrible, bizarre exploitation <laughs> type films. You are the guy wearing a bowling shirt. I am. I love this guy. guy. I'm Cameron Davis. <laughs> um, no, I, in, I. It's something that I have enjoyed from a from from a, a younger age, and I'm curious to find out what y- your guys's take on this. So, uh, we are going to start with the person. You guys are the man with two heads right yeah. now. Okay. So to speak. But, um, clock, 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 tick tock. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So I'm going to choose the one who reminds me most of Blackula, and that would be Jeff. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm funny, Richard. I, I, I knew of Night Flight as, for some reason, I thought it was just the thing that played music videos. And I found it, rediscovered it again as the thing that uh, you can. You could, they're streaming all these bad movies on it. Now. Yeah, they've, they've got a whole streaming service now, yeah. which is supposedly fantastic. That's pretty cool. Uh, so, okay, my first choice was the first exploitation I ever saw, ex- exploitation film I ever saw, and in a movie theater, and I was nine years old, and I think it was Michael Curry's birthday party, and it was March of 1977, and we went to see Supervan, which was an example of the van exploitation. <laughs> craze and this is a real thing according according to wikipedia a term used for a genre of american independence film from the 70s where vans are a, a quote key element to the plot that's ridiculous oh by the way this is where i did like 98 percent of my research in the last seven yeah. minutes was yeah. wikipedia wikipedia um other examples are the van van nuys boulevard cb hustlers um van nuys 
Yeah. Van, get it, Van Eyes. Blue Summer, a.k.a. Love Truck. So Supervan was, for two months, let's see, uh, the coolest movie I'd ever seen, because I had only seen a couple movies in a theater that weren't rated G. The coolest movie ever seen, because Star Wars was going to come out in May. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, in March of 1977, um, this film... Directed by Lamar Card, uh, about a young man who quits his job at his dad's garage because he's got a chance to do something amazing, meaning drive his van to a the Invitational Freakout, <laughs> which is which I didn't know at the time when I was watching the film was actually held in Kansas City. So upon rewatching this film, I got it on DVD, and this van in the Invitational Freakout was actually held in Kansas City, where I'm from. So that's super cool to me. Um, so a boy meets girl, and his van called the Sea Witch gets crushed by a competitor, and he ends up getting a a van called Super Van. That is a Chuck Barris, or sorry, a George Barris, not Chuck Barris. That would actually be more fitting. <laughs> that would be a Chuck yeah. Barris production. It got gone. Um, it's a 19, built on a 1966 Dodge A100 platform, the Super Van was created by the legendary George Barris. And if you just Google Supervan and Barris, you're going to see it. But, so I have, I have just a quick yeah. general question about these uh, exploitation films. Yeah, of the exploitation. 60s yeah. and 70s and onward. It was just like someone decided at some point that we were just going to make a bunch of movies terribly about a specific thing and you just the genre will be applied later. Like, like Vans, for yeah. example. Yeah. Well, people, I, were people excited about vans? It was yes. it just like everyone was just into vans for a particular time. So yes. now it has become a thing. Yeah, basically. I mean, there was a this big This can apply for anything in this area of cinema as Martin Scorsese would I, like to I talk, th- talk about. I think think if you're if your first if it is a market-driven genre, which which it is, your first consideration is commerce. Hmm. Is there a trend to exploit and um, Would you go see a movie today because of the van? Ironically, I, well, yeah. What is the thing what? that you would go... I, I don't know. I'm just curious about well, just right, in you general. Know, what would I, I go I, Let see? me just say Star Wars You know, is a genre. There was a genre film that transcended it. And some of and there's another one of my choices. It was a genre film that transcended it ultimately. But, but uh, I mean, right now, I, I, I can't get enough of The Mandalorian but everything about it is is based on uh, genre tropes from westerns and things like that. So, I mean, I'm watching that now and, and loving it. I'm not saying it's exploitation necessarily. Yeah. Well, I would say it's not cheaply made. I would say this: there's an element of something being cheaply made. Yeah. Uh, most your exploitation movies are are low budget. Yeah. Um, they are typically like I think like you hit on the head. A lot of the times they are. Uh, trying to target a certain genre or certain a certain target audience that is very specific. Yeah. So the van exploitation movies and and any of the or I would I would even extend this to the car culture movies of the seventies. Something yeah. like a Corvette Summer. Yeah. Or something. Easy like Rider that. was an exploitation, exploitation yeah. Yeah, movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it was there was a van craze back in the like this custom van craze back in the nineteen seventies. And so this is clearly a bunch of low-budget filmmakers going, if we, we can spend $200,000 on this movie about a van, and even if just the people who are really kids who are really crazy about vans go to see it, we're going to make our money back and then some. Yeah. So it's, it's something that, 
you expect to be able to make some money off of it on a low budget, regardless of quality. Yeah, I think that's certainly an element to it. It feels it feels like uh, exploitation. This genre has basically been like disseminated over like Tumblr. You could just go onto Tumblr and see like every van oh. you ever wanted oh, yeah. to see. Back in the sixties or seventies, I'm guessing that you had yeah. to go to the movie theaters to see these. Yeah, vans in could, particular, could have been. or whether yeah. it was another sort of genre that you were into. Now he's just like, all right, I'm going to hop on Tumblr and see what's up with the, uh, you know, uh, bronies. Yeah, uh, the two the two vans that are featured in this movie, by the way, uh-huh. one was called Vandora. Yeah, Vandora was actually a super van. Was Vandora? Yeah. And then there was a second one that was solar powered, called the Sea Witch. Well, that's funny because I think the Sea Witch was his. The kid ha- first has the Sea Witch, and then. Our What's, apologies to uh, all of the super van fans out there that super are yelling at van us. Super van fans, yeah. yeah. That are just <laughs> correcting us, being like, no, the sea witch yeah. was... Well, it's just like, it, so it wasn't an amazing film. It's longevity, however. The super van lived, outlived the film in different iterations. Um, it showed up in the 1986, this is where I go with a full Wikipedia on you guys, a 1986 made-for-TV movie, Condor, repainted gold and black. It was... And Back to the Future 2 as the Hill Valley Transit bus painted green. And the 1990 movie Solar Crisis painted white. So it was the space van in right. a lot of future future shows. And I am reading about this movie now yeah. and uh, featured a cameo by, you know this one. Do you oh. remember? No. Charles Bukowski. Holy snap. Because that's what the, that's what's going to get the kids in 1977 oh, into the theaters. That's, that's hilarious. Freaking Charles Bukowski. I, I think uh, now that you've mentioned that, I think I recall him in the big uh, van uh, freak out scene. Are we sure that he actually knew that there was a movie taking place? Yeah, I don't know. Where he just got drunk, crawled into a van, puked up a bunch of wine, and passed he out. He does look like he could be any one of the Freak Brothers, or some from an R. Crumb character or something. <laughs> he does, he does he? look like a drawing. Boy. Alright, All right. that's the first one? That's my first. So that's uh, that's Jeff's first. Michael, your turn. Uh, Richard, you alluded to it in your opening uh, statement. Blackula. Blackula. Of course. You have to talk about it's Blackula. Got, no, of course. Whether I, we're talking about it in I'm terms remiss, not of the 1972 it. film um, about a black Dracula or yeah. of the Simpsons uh, reference, uh, the blunch black of Bloat Your Blame, <laughs> 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 which might be my favorite. <laughs> just top five just nonsense <laughs> Simpsons things. Uh, the idea of just, uh, well, you got Dracula and uh, make him a an African-American yeah. gentleman, make him a black guy yeah. and throw him in, in Los Angeles and have his coffin be purchased by a couple of gay guys in LA and yeah. have him, you know, rain terror as a vampire down on LA. <laughs> it's You've improved on Bram Stoker so mightily. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, this is just, it, it's the story of um, Prince uh, Mamu Walde, who is turned into a vampire by the actual Dracula, who is engaged okay. in a slave trade, because of course. Yeah. That's what Dracula would do. Yeah. And uh, comes to L.A. and is, gets involved in street crime. and uh, Yeah. Is, it, it is everything you want out of a campy horror genre as well as uh, 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 African-American guy kicking ass and taking names uh-huh. in Los Angeles. Is there a Blackenstein? There was yeah. a Blackenstein as well. Oh, uh, wow. Well. Uh, I mean, you know, just add a little... African Americanness yeah. to any sort of was there a black mummy? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> a, a 
black creature from the black creature lagoon. from the, the white black lagoon. <laughs> creature from the blacker <laughs> lagoon. Um, I I have seen Blackula. Um, it is not as terrible as you would think it would be. I mean, it's not good, but it's and it's shot on a a budget roughly similar to our podcast. But is it any worse than the Hammer? Um, yeah. uh, Dracula films oh. that they push out every couple of years. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's got some funny moments. It's 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 just different, and it's one of those ones. It's just become the shorthand now, and I think it's why it's so big in popular culture for just shoehorning yeah. a black exploitation film into another genre. Yeah, um, I think that's what it's become known for now. Instead of anything having to do with the movie, people people reference Baki who have never seen it. Uh-huh. Don't really know anything else about it, but just know it's Black Dracula. It isn't yeah. kind of fucked up. It is such a compelling. You think of these films as being market driven. They probably had to make up their money on a really short time, and they had to have such a strong hook. And I can't think of a better name than Blackula. That is so. You know exactly what it is. Yeah, it doesn't need need to explain itself. It's so no. good. No, you don't need to explain. I mean, I appreciate you giving us the plot. No explanation was yeah. needed. The only other, the only other movie I could think of that that kind of hit on this sort of topic was a uh, was the Eddie Murphy one, Vampire in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, um, which just sucked. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. No, yeah. see what I did there. Yeah. Um, if you're gonna watch, if you're gonna choose between the two Black Dracula movies, Blackula is 100 percent the way mm-hmm. to go. So that's a good first choice. Um, By the way, I'm going to rush you guys along because I got a Zumba class I got to get to a little bit. Okay, sure. Oh, Don't don't sweat it. Understood. Um, Jeff, what's your second choice? Okay, my second choice is going down the road a little bit farther. Uh, Now, this is really falling into two uh, genres. The first I want to pick, because I think it's so novel, I'd never read it before, Ozploitation, films that were leveraging the beauty and vastness and ruggedness of Australia. Oh, I thought you meant like L. Frank Baum's Oz. (laughs) No. (laughs) Like with a buxom Dorothy or or something like that. Yeah, or Black Sabbath. No, uh, this is um, Mad Max from 1979. So I saw this in junior high. And uh, um, no, I should say I first saw The Road Warrior, which was Mad Max 2, and then found this on VHS. And it's... uh, only film I've ever seen where the people are speaking English, but it is dubbed <laughs> right. because their dialects were so thick, which is ironic because their lead character, uh, Mel Gibson is Max Rokitansky, um, is a, an American native. Mel Gibson lived in America, I think, till he was 10 or 11 years old, Right. then went to Australia. So he was only in Australia for about 10 years 15 years, maybe, by the time he made this film. Really? Uh, I didn't know that about Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, but he's being dubbed by an American or a, a, an actor without a thick Australian dialect. Okay, so if you don't know this film, uh, it takes place in a dystopian Australia in the near future, which was something they did uh, establish via prologue at the end where they realized... This film doesn't look normal. Let's pretend it's in the near future. Let's, let's That's cre- what Australia looked like in the late <laughs> yeah. 70s, early yeah. 80s. A yeah. dystopian hellscape. This was done so cheaply, and, and uh, but it, definitely guerrilla filmmaking. The crew would close roads without uh, filming permits, not use walkie-talkies because their frequency coincided with the police, and the police would hear them. Um, <laughs> and uh, 
the uh, definitely done on a low budget. Mel Gibson says he used to carry the camera, he used to carry gear to the set every day, even wow. while he was working on the thing. But I loved this because it, alongside with Blade Runner, were two sci-fi or fantasy films that painted a unique vision of this future gone wrong, and it was so compelling to me. So, um, and then um, I think uh, George Miller does such a great job along with the screenwriters of creating this world that seems like it makes sense. Like Star Wars has a used universe. And it feels kind of lived in. And uh, Mad Max has the look of a, a, a civilization of people who weren't expecting the apocalypse to happen. And after, they just had to make do with whatever bullshit was sitting around, like football pads and baseball bats and, right. and whatever shitty cars that they had, soup them up with whatever they could find. So It is literally, in a lot of ways the perfect movie to make on a shoestring budget. Yeah, yeah. Because it's almost a, a meta commentary on we have to make do with what we have. Yeah, and the junk that they put around, or they gather together to to um, fight off, to fight against uh, these gangs and, and things that are now uh, controlling their world. So I loved, freaking loved it. And from an exploitation standpoint, by the time the road work came around, the, it was really a, it was a little bit less lurid. There's still like bloody fingers getting chopped off by boomerangs, and there's still uh, rape or you know this ug- ugliness. Right. But uh, Mad Max is crude. There's some real rough stuff going on there. Yes. Yeah. It's it is a, a, I think a rare example of the exploitation film that becomes a crossover success. Yeah. That becomes seen as not just something that makes money because certainly there have been exploitation films that have become money makers, uh-huh. um, but something that also became cult- or critically um, accepted. Yeah. I mean, it's something that I'm looking at right now. It's got 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I know isn't the be all end all, mm. but I think it goes to show that even in its time, it was something that was made for more than just let's try and generate some shock and some cheap, cheap sort of like gross out or, you know, cheap thrills and make a little bit of money and get on to the next thing. There was obviously George Miller had a vision, an artistic vision behind it, Uh even though he was playing in this sort of, you know, futuristic uh, genre, which had been kind of well-worn by that point. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I just find that movie, and it's one of the things I've always found interesting about Mad Max, how it kind of towed the line between being sort of a, being schlock and being something that's actually uh-huh. has artistic merit. Yeah. It's weird because, you know, I don't know if I'd seen, I don't think I've seen the original one because I think uh, I was totally pulled into the fantasy elements of The Road Warrior. Yeah. And definitely, you know, when you get to Beyond Thunderdome and it's just, yeah. everything is kind of, it, it gets crazy. It starts off as just like, this, like you know, this revenge fantasy, uh-huh. you know, the, the cop, but then... I don't know if that was when I was a kid and to see it, if that was enough to hold me in. Yeah. Like I, it, sure. it needed the guy flying around in the gyrocopter uh-huh. and like the wild feral boy to yeah. do whatever. It's definitely not a movie for kids. No. Mad Max, the original Mad Max. I, I will say that what I had originally in this slot, um, Death Race 2000, which I got to see at the Alamo draft house in Minneapolis recently. And, and uh, I can't say it's held up for me because I never saw it as a younger person, but 
Death Race has more Wait, you're commentary. Talking about Machine Gun Joe Viterbo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, definitely. So in in we've got David Carradine as the president, right? Or uh, no, think, he's, uh, no, no, he's no, he's, uh, no, he's Frankenstein. not the president. Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Yeah. I thought he was also the. No, I think he winds up thinking myself. I know this movie backwards and forwards. Why didn't I think of this movie? For, oh, hey, you know, tell me, tell me what you I'll liked substi- about it. Because maybe I'll substitute that in. Maybe I'll substitute one of my other f- films for this one because I know Death Race Two Thousand like the back of my hand. Yeah, Death Race Two Thousand is an <laughs> incredible movie. Uh, the yeah. idea is that sometime in the future there is this kind of quasi game show where drivers get in there, you know, mock. Uh, What's what's the uh, thing that a uh, speed racer drives? Mach Mach five. The Mach five. It's yeah. like these Mach five yeah. type sort of race cars. Yeah, and it is a cross country um, race that you're effectively involved in, where you just you get points for murdering people yeah. along the way. Yeah, you it's know? like the Cannonball Run times murder. It's like wacky races, mm-hmm. but like you know, with you, death, you run people over and you get extra points for running over like ladies and people pushing. Right, because there's in it, if I remember the plot correctly, there's the world has been overcrowded, overpopulation is so much that they're trying to find ways to like thin out, especially the older people, mm-hmm. which is why they're worth more more points than the average person. Yeah, that's right. There's a, a moment where uh, an old age home. Uh, would kind of uh, push people out in their wheelchairs while the race is going by. So yes. just they could just thin out, them, thin out the herd. Uh, but yeah, th- that's funny. You know, I think so I, I think I owe this has been audible into my next pick. Is that your next pick? Okay. Because um, I think I overthought this too much. Oh. And I didn't think of like the, the films that I, I had seen and I, I don't know what I was doing, but this is definitely one of the most wonderful low-key Sylvester Stallone mm-hmm. is the aforementioned machine gun Joe yeah. Turbo yeah. calling his girlfriend uh, a baked potato. Mm-hmm. And David Carradine is uh, eventually President Frankenstein. Yes, yeah. so by the end, that's where you were okay. getting Okay, yeah. <laughs> Mike, Mike the reason why... A character not unlike uh, the Mandalorian who will not remove his mask <laughs> the entire time. Though, so I think... I think this is a good choice, but the reason why it came thank off you my for, list for me was, mm. was the, I found the, uh, even though both of the Death Race 2000 and uh, The Road Warrior were commentary, they, I feel like the commentary in Death Race slowed the film down for me uh, a little bit. So there were some actual romantic scenes in Death Race where he's betting the reporter, and it actually turned into a movie movie for me. And from an exploitation standpoint, I remember thinking, get back on the road and kill some people, uh, because it got into social commentary in a lot of the uh, satirizing journalism, TV journalism, with or the real Don Steele as this reporter guy who's, who's tying the whole film together. So at that point... Uh, if paired against the Road Warrior, this or sorry, Mad Max, Mad Max, I would have picked the Mad Max under the category of exploitation. This is wrote, uh, Death Race Two Thousand is better satire, I think. I guess so. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny to see like threads of this in a film like Running Man. Yeah, where uh, just the commercialization of murdering people and people. Uh, just buying into it. Oh yeah. It's just, uh, it's, yeah. 
or the purge or any yeah, of these is, yeah pilling yeah. has become a televised part, sport televised yeah. part of the american uh-huh. directed by paul bartel yeah uh, also director of eating raul and uh, another will, another of the cannibal yeah. i guess exploitation i will movies. say that was one of the ones that kind of led me to death race because eating raul was a favorite of me i think it was on cinemax or something like that sure yeah uh, i used to i watched it a lot but i remember thinking it was almost too it's definitely it definitely has a ca- cannibalism in it, but it's kind of all more in the realm of kind of a black comedy. I think. Sure, yeah. which which I think Death Race two thousand has definitely elements of black comedy. It is an example versus a Mad Max, which takes itself very seriously, but then there's these like moments of almost kind of cartoony sort of violence. Yeah, Death Race two thousand really leans into it all the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, the I, I'm thinking about the scene you mentioned with the old people. I, if I remember correctly, Frankenstein actually goes behind the hedges where all the nurses are, and you just see nurses' bodies getting flung sure, up does, into the it air. It does turn into something out of like uh, Looney Tunes. Yeah, there's that exactly. I believe there's a very very uh, Chuck Jones sort of element to the way that these deaths deaths are uh, are handled. Yeah. I would also say what pushes it back into the black, into the exploitation is uh, boobage. Just, just casual boobage throughout the whole thing. Yes, <laughs> there's non-sexy boobage. Just boobage happening in the middle of a, like a normal conversation. <laughs> just boobs. Just boobs. <laughs> just boobs. All right, so we are at halftime, and this is the point where Jeff usually tells you to please download, rate, and review us. I'm not going to tell you that. You should do whatever you want to do, and what you should want to do is download, rate, and review us. <laughs> Um, because it's really, and I, I say this honestly and truly, that helps us out as a podcast. It helps other people find us. Um, it helps out with wherever you happen to be listening to this on, whatever podcast app you happen to be on. Um, it helps get people to know who we are and understand that we're doing something that's quality. And uh, we appreciate every every review and every uh, positive rating that we've got so far. Um, and you should also follow us on social media. Um, whether that's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Um, we uh, love hearing from you. A lot of the times we'll uh, like to include your choices on the show when we get a chance to. Uh, we've had topics that have been suggested by people in our uh, social media sphere. and even had people come on the show. You don't have to come on the show. I can understand why you wouldn't. Please Dear come God, on the show. I don't want to come on most weeks, <laughs> but here we are. Um, but... Please get involved with us. We love interacting with the with the people who listen to the show, and um, that's about it. Yeah. So we are back, and I believe Jeff, it is time for your third. Okay. Uh, I, I repeat on repeat rental from the. Okay, kids. There was this time when you wanted a video. You didn't just please click. explain this to us, Uncle <laughs> Jeff. You didn't play the missive music. <laughs> you didn't. Just click a few clicks on your app, on your television. Um, you had to go to a thing called a video store. And sometimes it was uh, this little uh, tiny 10, 10 by 10 uh, building uh, that was attached maybe to like a shoe shine place or a dry cleaners. Sometimes it was a small kiosk in the middle of your grocery store. That's what it was when I was in college at University of Kansas. And we were known for on a Friday night for getting this film called Gator Bait. Oh wow. Which is in the Hicksploitation category. <laughs> and I once have seen Gator Bait ten times. And it is definitely a 
uh, exploitation thing taking place in the swamps of Louisiana. It was shot in Thibodeau, Louisiana, and it featured playmate, Playboy playmate Claudia Jennings. This woman played this back row, like Bayou Jezebel. Her character's name Desiree, whose animal magnetism drives men wild. And Claudia Jennings was pretty darn gorgeous in her Daisy Dukes and her ripped um, uh, shirt. And the, uh, the uh, a Cajun poacher wants, uh, wants to get her because he wants to make her his wife. And the sheriff wants to get her because she's doing illegal stuff back there. All these people in the swamps are trying to get her. Um, she somehow in the middle of the swamps has an unlimited supply of makeup because no matter how many times she falls in the swamp, it seems like she gets out and her hair is completely dry and she's got rouge and mascara and all this stuff on. But she was freaking gorgeous. Um, and w- when researching it, this was in 1974, um, filmmakers Beverly and Ferd Sebastian are kind of these auteurs of, of bad exploitation films. They did a rock exploitation film in Rocktober Blood, which sounds like two U2 albums, I think, kind of right. <laughs> mashed together. Uh, but they did a lot of exploitation films. They did like a WWE, like a Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling exploitation film called like Angels of the Ring. And then Ferd found Jesus after a near-death heart attack. And he, he runs the website 2jesus.org. Oh, so this oh, my, is, one of my favorite websites. Yeah, that's right. I frequent yeah. it. So, yeah. Uh, so I love this. And it even had, like, as a theater student kind of studying Shakespeare, there's kind of a, a <laughs> Lear-like kind of thing where there's a father and he's got three sons who are all kind of um, um, in different stages of, of, of devotion to their father and stuff like that. So uh, pretty great film. Did you ever see the sequel, Gator Bait 2? No. Cajun Justice. No, no. I, I feel like you're really missing out on this. So I know they can close yeah, the story. Fourteen years later, it took a long time to hone that script. <laughs> I I think on Gator Bait two or the deep. I wasn't able to see this, but there's a DVD extra where Ferd says he once up walked up to Walt Disney and asked him how to make movies or something. <laughs> so Walt must have told him some weird shit because that's he like, went that, up and that's like that. that's like uh, Ed Wood. When yeah, Ed Wood goes Orson up Wells. to see Orson Welles, <laughs> except even trashier somehow. So is. I, I must. I have to ask. In this movie, um, does Gator Bait, whatever her name, her character Desiree, yeah. Desiree, Desiree Thibodeau, Thibodeau. Yeah. yeah, does 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 her character get naked? Yeah, I think she's doing some. Or is the or is this one of the ones bait. where sometimes you'll see this in the exploitation movie where every other female character gets naked, oh. but the lead female character is the only one who doesn't. Oh, I recall. You'll see that. You'll see that from time to time. Yeah, I think as Playboy. Playmate, I think that was almost part of her contract. Yeah, I would imagine yeah. that would be uh, uh, difficult to uh, avoid that at that yeah. point. Yeah, She was in a ton of movies that, just reading her filmography, and she died young at 29. Oh, wow. Um, just reading her filmography, um, The Man Who Fell to Earth. Oh, wow. Uh, Sisters of Death, The Great Texas Dynamite Chase. Ooh. That's just like, <laughs> that is just you throw words in a hat. Yeah, that sounds like a Troy McClure. <laughs> Let's see what comes out. <laughs> the imaginarium of yeah. Dr. Parnassus, yes. You might Moonshine remember Moonshine Country Express, Death Sport. And Which fast. is not Death Race. No. Totally different. Hold on. Let's see Death Sport. Um, a Thousand Years from Tomorrow. 
After the Neutron Wars, the world is divided into a barbaric collection of city-states surrounded oh. by waste. She has a great career. Does everyone do the Neutron Dance? There? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, not much to say about that. Uh, Sam, Sam Fine, Gilman. I do, love, I do love your history of, like, that was the one that you just chose. Oh, God. Yeah, I think everyone's got yeah. one where it's just like, this movie is so dumb. Yeah. I'm going to, like, learn every line. Yeah. It's fantastic. W- there was a moment where... Uh, T.J. Bracken, the patriarch who's King Lear-like, who was a contemporary with Marlon Brando, he claims. He also claims to have been an artist for Marvel Comics. Uh, he's bemoaning the death of his uh, inbred uh, redneck Bayou son, and he said something like, like, Leroy, they said you was touched. And so anytime any of our friends did something idiotic, <laughs> we'd tell them, you're touched. You touched. I think you touched. <laughs> Michael, what's your next pick? Uh, my next pick is a movie that literally I've, I've seen once and decided I never want to see it again. I have no... It, your I wedding have, film. Uh, oh, oh nuts. Uh, uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, I've never which, seen it. I'm too, I'm too scared. It is a movie that uh, was right in the middle of... It was like, you know, it's like pre-slasher. It's like all the things that they tried to do in, uh, you know, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. and But like just scary and gross and low budget and awful. And I remember seeing it once and was like, I just never want to see this again. Yeah. <laughs> it's about, you know, it's about a hitchhiker who joins up with a bunch of friends who run into a family of cannibals led by Leatherface, the titular uh, wielder of the chainsaw. And it's just horrible to watch. And yeah. like, it's, there are movies that are out there for people who want to just see awful things. Yeah. And it's, funny that I just, I have no interest in seeing just like yeah. depravity and uh, just awfulness. Uh-huh. And I, what I, the only thing I do like about the end of the movie is that like Leatherface doesn't die. He's like shaking his fists. <laughs> shaking his chainsaw at the people that get away. And that's all you can hope to do is get away. You barely survive. Yeah, But like, I don't know. There's just a whole genre of like these... Awful slasher. Yeah, gore porn. Yeah. 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 And it, this movie was originally marketed as based on a true story. Gain, be, yeah. Because they took some, a few, a little, little bit of elements uh-huh. of uh, Ed Gain, the uh, serial killer's life, um, and, and incorporated them into the Leatherface character. Wow. Um, which, that's a, that's a good exploitation sort of thing to do, by the way, is to try to market it as a, Something based true. on true events. Uh-huh. Because that will that will get people kind of freaked out even more. So, are you? Did you watch like Halloween and Friday the Thirteenth and those type of type of movies at all growing up? Not growing up. I've, I'm, I've seen them once. I was a teenager and a little bit older. But even then, it's just a genre that like never caught on with me. Yeah. Like I would enjoy like the spoofs of them. Like I enjoyed Scream. Yeah. But like never to go back, and I wouldn't. I don't. I have some vague memories of watching Friday the 13th part. Mm, not Friday the 13th. What was the one with Friday? A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, no, was it the Friday? Dream, the Dream Warriors. Was it Friday? <laughs> with Ice Cube? I have, a, I have a lot of memories of watching Friday. But uh, uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street, like uh-huh. part three, the Dream Warriors, over at like a friend's older brother's yeah. house and was just like, I'm too young to watch yeah. this. Yeah. VHS. Oh yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. This movie in particular was just like realistic enough in terms of just the way it was shot. Yeah. It was just 
all up in your face. It was, you know, there's no, like the special effects are just too yeah. grim. There's some stuff in True Detective Season 1 where you go into the home of the serial killer and you go, I, he doesn't have to be murdering anybody. I just don't want to be in this room yeah. with this, this creepazoid. A Swiffer and a wet Swiffer. Yeah. I have not seen yeah. this floor yeah. in quite a long time. Yeah. Yeah, so the remake, Rob Zombie did a remake too, right? Didn't yeah, he, he yeah. did a remake, I believe. There was the one that had like Renee Zellweger and Matthew McConaughey. There was like a, they tried to reboot it in the mm-hmm. mid 90s before any of them were famous. It was kind yeah. of like this famous, like, ooh, we're really embarrassed by this oh, sort of wow. movie thing. Uh-huh. Um, and it actually, um, Tobe Hooper tried to get this cut down to a PG rating. How the hell? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, he cut down a lot of the gore. Apparently, it, it was even gorier than the, the final product ended up being. Had the musical number. Had a musical number. Uh-huh. Had a had a a, a a lovable alien involved. No, what? But um, it still came out as an R anyway, which of course it always yeah. always was going yeah. to be. Yeah. Um. All right, great choice, uh, Jeff. Final choice. Okay, this is my final, and this was the first in my heart. And um, I think it's an example of something in which the film was made as an exploitation and has been elevated uh, in hindsight to a to not be perceived as so, but a hard day's night in the rock exploitation genre. 1964 British musical comedy directed by Richard Lester, starring uh, the guys who, in our last episode of our podcast needed to get Eric Clapton in the studio for them all to get along together. Well, these were the earlier days when they were all getting along just fine. Thank you. And even though they were going from a room to a train, to a room, to a car, to a room, to a room, they were still having fun doing it. What a delightful movie. Oh, I just, it's It's, so infectious and fun. Rewatchability, 100% on this. Yeah. It is, you know, 50 some odd years old now, 55 years old, whatever it is. Yeah. And you can still just plop it in, and it's just the yeah. energy just sort of like bounds off of the sc- off of the screen. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I have such a. They should color it though. Colorize it. Up. Yeah, that's it's, true. It's a shame it's stuck in black and white. The uh, credit to Richard Lester for not only coaching them into the world that they were going to be filming, kind of an improvisational one, but also having the ear for Liver- Liverpudlian. Scouse kind of dialect and being able to write it because supposedly he, he hung around Liverpool and was able yeah, to. Yeah, he did, and he followed them around, just sort of like seeing what they were like. Yeah, going on tour and playing gigs and just hanging out. Yeah, and uh, you know, lucky for him, it's like you know, trying to make the Beatles funny is like trying to make a, a, a you know a cat cute or something like that. They were already pretty clever guys, right. and they already had chemistry, which was why they were such a great. Act and if it wasn't for this movie, we never would have had the film career of Ringo Starr. No, <laughs> not caveman. have had Caveman <laughs> or the Magic Christian yeah. or yeah. Um, so yes, it was an exploitation film because it was um, trying to capitalize a low-budget exploitation movie to milk the latest brief musical craze for all that it's worth. And it's a weird thing to think about now, but this rock was really only about seven, eight, nine years old. And so not only are, are the industry trying to really use this film as a way to sell a record, because they knew we're going to lose money off the movie, but we'll make plenty of money off the soundtrack. So they were so anxious to ch- crank out Beatles records that they made this movie, essentially, to try to support the sell, 
sales of the soundtrack. But at this time, the industry thought rock was going to be over any minute now. So we had to make all this money while we can. And that's another reason why the Beatles were so... Why this movie even came... The plot of this movie even came because Brian Epstein, their manager, was working them like slaves because he never knew at what minute their career was going to be over. So he had to make as much money off these idiots as he could. That's what? what they were relentlessly putting on shows and recording and rehearsing. Yeah, your rock exploitation movies that goes back to as long as as long as there's been rock and roll. Yeah, there's been a movie, produce, jungle, a movie yeah. producer trying to milk it for every oh, last yeah. buck, yeah. thinking that it's a fad. Yeah. Um, whether it's Blackboard Jungle or a girl can't help it or you know, on, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And after this movie came out, then you started to get the genre of the British invasion exploitation uh-huh. films. Um, this came out, obviously help came out after this. Yeah. Uh, the Herman's Hermits. Oh, the movie. Uh, uh, Mrs. Brown, you've got a lovely daughter oh, based off great. of that, I believe. Um, so yeah, you wind up hitting a lot of that. I think there's a, there's a, uh, Cliff Richards in the uh-huh. Shadows did at least yeah. one movie at yeah. some point. So you you want to this wound up becoming its own little like mini genre. Yeah, and it's not not that there wasn't film there weren't films about musicians beforehand because their right. works is really just kind of the same thing new genre. But I, I think this the the uh, fastness or this the cycle was going so rapidly that they knew there was going to be they suspected there was going to be a new flavor of the month any minute now so they had to crank this thing out but uh the things that it also inspired uh i don't you know spy films in general you know like uh um the monkeys television show music music videos in general so uh i i just like you said i oh, oh i also read that if you've seen the film madagascar yes which as parents you might have there are four penguins in it, right? Am I yes. in the right that one? Those were originally in their own movie about essentially a rock group. Oh wow, I and didn't know that. That's why they look and act like they do because they were the Beatles, essentially. Wow, running around doing fun. Never would have got that from the Madagascar movie. Yeah, they, uh, they must have ditched that at some point in the production of it. Yeah, they didn't get that. They pulled. But them, I could see where they would go. They pulled them out of the development of this other thing and put them into huh. into Madagascar. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh, anybody who's seen, seen Jojo Rabbit? Anybody? Well, I have not seen it. Yet. You've not seen it. It opens up with a kind of a para, para, or a allegory of the esteem of, with which um, one certain fascist dictator was held uh, by the people of Germany as being on par with Beatlemania. Helmut Kohl. <laughs> That's right, Helmut Kohl. Um, so it's uh, it's kind of cool. Cool. All right. All right, let's wrap this. Let's wrap this sucker up, Michael. I got another. uh, I got another exploitation uh, (laughs) podcast to do in twenty minutes. Well, um, I definitely approach this topic from someone that didn't spend a lot of time within the exploitation film Uh, community. Oh yeah, don't didn't watch a ton. Yeah, I didn't have that sort of lust. Lucky you. But um, what I did find interesting was just the phenomenon of the two thousand seven film Grindhouse. Oh yeah. Okay. Phenomenon is a word that I'm sure they wanted to have push it forward. Uh-huh. But I love the idea that these people spend Quentin Tarantino and um, what was the, uh, Robert Rodriguez. Uh, Rodriguez spent so much money to lose so much money. Yes. And it felt so fitting that the thing that you guys fell in love with as this behind the scenes uh, or, or like 
you know, low quality, um, terrible movies that are, you know, uh, zeroed in on a very specific community of people that want to see it. Yeah. Or pinpoint, you know, people want to see, uh, black crime movies or they want to see like sex movies and to go out and get an all-star cast to do two films, do bill as a double feature and just run the gamut of having all these special fancy trailers for other potential films that will never exist. Uh, Hobo with a shotgun. Although I think Thanks. Hobo with a shotgun was eventually yeah. made machete. Although machete was made. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Yeah. Don't white meat. <laughs> Dark meat. All will be carved. Um, I love that, they, that their love. They tried to push it out as an event. Yeah. That nobody wanted to see it. Was it really a flop? I, uh, apparently, um, it cost uh, between fifty-three and sixty-seven million dollars, and it made twenty-five million. Costs a lot of oh, money wow. to look that cheap. Yeah. To quote, to quote Dolly Parton. <laughs> wow. But you know, big cast, you know, star-studded. That's the one thing that you know traditional, uh, you know, exploitation films don't have. They don't have yeah an expensive yeah litany of people that are in them. They have nobody. So they yeah. have the former Playboy playmate. Right, as the star. Or, yeah. If you don't um, want to lose your shirt, don't don't bring one. But the yeah. films were so very true to form to see what a film would be that you rented over and over. Whether yeah. the film was damaged, and they kept that kind of damaged quality within the film, where they had cut scenes, yeah. just poorly edited, right. or you just take the basic you know revenge plot of Death Proof of uh-huh. these stunt women or these these women uh, getting revenge on stuntman Mike. Yeah. Um, very basic plots, except Planet Terror is kind of a <laughs> Planet Terror is kind of a mess. Yeah. But it has a you know Rose McGowan with a machine gun leg. Yeah, like um, crazy stuff that you ne- you would never see. Um, I don't know. I just like the idea of films that were made by people who genuinely love this thing, and that those were a failure. Yes, I think that's fascinating. It's, it's, yeah. That's the, that's the most ironic thing you could possibly have is the fact that. This genre that was designed to just make a little bit of money wound up costing them mm-hmm. a lot of money. Uh-huh. That's great. All right. Time to make some choices, boys and girls. Uh, so I'm going to go with Blackula, um, <clears throat> primarily because we never did the kickball team Blackula's Balls. Yeah, it was also going to be called, potentially called the Count Blackula's. I can't remember if I ever settled on uh, an actual name, whether it was going to be uh, Blackula's <laughs> Balls or the Count Blackula's. We definitely went back and forth. Oh, well. I love the idea of Mad Max. So okay. Jack, you're getting points okay. for that. Sweet. Um, I love A Hard Day's Night. The idea of this being a rock exploitation film, that's not, it's not something that you normally think of as a exploitation genre, yeah. but it absolutely was one. And uh, my favorite movie out of this list, at least, well, not favorite movie, but favorite most representative exploitation movie out of this list, Death Race 2000. Um, the one that I would have chosen if I did a Borglum's bag would have been Ilsa, She-Wolf of the SS. Sure. Uh. The Nazi exploitation film. Also a little bit of a mixture of the women in prison. Is that a genre. Mary Warrenov too? No, oh. that was... Uh, oh, boy, what's her name? I can't remember the actress's name, but she was like a Russ Myers okay. type. Okay. So, all right. This has been fun, guys. Enjoyed sitting in on the throne. Now it's time for me to gingerly step off before the whole thing collapses. <laughs> and this is where I thank you guys for listening. And uh, check back next week while Michael will be uh, ascending to, to such great heights to uh, lord, o- lord it o- all over us. Uh, the topic next week is vanity projects. Woo!
this will be. Can't see what you guys. I am 100% the Mount Rushmore project podcast is going to be a vanity project I choose. So anyway, uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, this has been Richard. This is Jeff. Michael.